Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Teacher's Point of View. Uh, this episode, we've got Phil Sharrock back on with us. Um, he obviously came back on season, he came on season one, back on season two to kind of share how, what his views are on kind of where education kind of gone over the over the last few months. Um, and yeah, I mean, he kind of shares his view on where education is, the direction it needs to go in. Obviously, he's got such a vast amount of experience and he, he lays it on the table. Uh, he, he's very honest and he puts all his cards down on the table about kind of his views. Uh, please do give it a watch and uh, like and subscribe if you obviously enjoy the episode. Thank you. Hi everyone, welcome Phil again onto the Teacher's Point of View podcast. I'm so pleased, obviously, you've come back on. I mean, you were a bit of a fan favourite last time and uh, I really enjoyed speaking to you. So I wanted to get you on for season two and and obviously speak to you about kind of where education is and why it needs to evolve. Um, for anyone that kind of didn't watch the last episode or doesn't know who Phil, Phil is, he's had so many years of experience in, in the education system. He's what was a head teacher from like 2012, was it, from, from my memory? And, and basically he's obviously taken over failing schools and, and taken on journeys and got them to good rated within like 18 months from what I remember um, and he's uh, yeah I mean he's been on an incredible journey recently semi-retired and he's on this journey of trying to evolve education himself and kind of um, looking at where where we, we where education is in the UK and why it really needs to change so I had to get you back on Phil really I mean like obviously education is, is a wonderful thing isn't it I mean it's not that we're kind of slating off education education is so wonderful and teachers are doing an incredible job and you make an impact to children's lives every day but look at looking at kind of what countries do across the world there is no reason why we can't collaborate i mean the world is quite small now and why, why can't we learn from other people and and take nuggets from what other people are doing and make our system better or and make education more accessible for everyone right and uh and i think obviously the, the system in there in the uk is obviously quite dated i mean we still teach the way that we did sort of about 30 to 50 years ago um, I mean, where, where do you think like kind of education needs to, is now, and why, why do you think it kind of needs to change? It's a 19th century system using 20th century technology in 21st century buildings. It's not gonna work, is it? You know, we need, you know, absolutely. What do we want for our children? What, do, where, where do we want them to go? What do we want them to do? What, the, how do we want them to? To, to evolve and, and, and become better citizens of the planet, yeah? We've got, my generation have left them a planet that is going to, uh, that has created climate change, unbelievable capitalism, wealth for the very, very few, and everybody else is muddling along behind, you know? Um, and, and, and so that's my generation, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, we've done a really good job. We, the next generations coming through need to be better. They need to be better in all aspects. And, and the way that we are educating our children is exactly the same way as I went through school back in the 1970s and 80s. It's not, it's not much different. You know, I remember my head teacher in year three coming in and coming in and testing me on my times tables. You know, now we've got a national test for times tables in year four. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it hasn't moved on. And, and I don't understand why. You know, control is everything when you're up at the top, and and that's and that's very important. It's become the overriding important thing. So, you you, you if you come down with a top-down level of management, then you have to you have to retain control and autonomy, and not let anybody think, believe, you know, breathe or work together. They'll give you the nuggets that they want you to do that, but then they'll roll you back in. You know, when 
when sea spit and I think a, a, you know a good example was Greenwich, wasn't it? Just before we broke up for Christmas, when you know Greenwich, the, the CEO yeah. of Greenwich LA or whatever, you know, said that's it, shut them down for a week, and he was threatened with legal action straight away. And, you know, and it's just like, come on, come on, you, you know, we're doing our best here. We are trying to do our best, but you know, uh, this where we are at this moment in time, I feel for them, I really do, because you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I'm tired of it being so reactionary. To put announcements out one day before you break up for Christmas to head teachers and say, oh, by the way, by the time you come back in a fortnight, you're going to be a full testing centre and you're going to have everybody trained and you've got to know what you're doing and, and, and everything like that. And it's just like, are, are you are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Why are we so reactionary? Why can't we be proactive for this? Why can't we turn around and somebody says, we are shutting you for six weeks, everybody stays home, everybody... Go anyway, you could go on and on and on about it, couldn't you? But... You know, these are extraordinary times. And it is, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm. But I'm tired of the reactionary rather than the proactive, um, which is what good people do to get on top of things. And 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 if you look at countries that are, uh, that have been successful, like Finland, Estonia, Canada, in, in, in their education systems, in producing children who are uh, creative, innovative thinkers who will challenge the norms and, and, and do well from an academic point of view, but from also from an interpersonal point of view, who, who have those, you know, soft skills is a terrible phrase. I think soft skills is, is it's wrong. These are the core skills that we're going to need now. You know, you know, kids need. You know, one of the things that I've noticed with with my kids and with my foster kids is, you put a problem in front of them and they ain't got a clue. You know, they, they haven't got a clue how to overcome it, and and they need their hand holding through the whole process to sort them out. Now. Not all, not all, but the majority do. And 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 that those skills of resilience, grit, determination, you know, those those intercommunication skills, you know, those, you know, being able to present, those being able, you know, those those things that give you confidence to be able to deliver, you know, working as part of a team, you know, where are they? And and those are those are going to be absolutely crucial for their future. You know, we, we were talking a little bit before, and I, I think it's like handwriting. We insist on cursive handwriting and all that sort of thing. What the hell is that going to do with anything in the world today? They should be taught how to touch type because everybody uses computers. It's as simple as that, you know. And, and, you know, yeah, you need to know how to write. Of course you do. But, you know, to, to, to put such a focus on, on, on the written word when actually give them all a laptop and teach them how to touch type, that's going to be so much more valid and useful to them in the future. And we need to have the courage to be able to step aside from the prescription of of, of these of the DFE and, and and be brave and say no, you know that that's not right for my kids. The great schools out there, you know, look at the national curriculum, which on, on a personal level is the biggest problem that we have. The biggest problem that we have in that, in education is the national curriculum because at, at two hundred and five pages long at primary. It's so ridiculously prescriptive. No wonder they've got no time to do anything else. And everybody's just a product on a production line. You know, so I feel for everybody in that. It's the same up in secondary. It's such a prescriptive national curriculum that the, the freedom to express and create and think and do isn't there because it's all geared to that exam result and everything's get, everything's held to account on that. So it's we need to start from the top down, start to trust people um, so that we're getting kids who who are going to be fit for the future. 
Mm. I mean, like it's it's difficult though because we've been in in this system for such a long time, haven't we? I mean, I think naturally people like dislike change anyway, don't they? I mean, you, we spoke in your in the last podcast you came on when you took over a failing school, and sometimes the difficulties that you have with staff that don't like the changes that you naturally make. Um, I mean, to do that on a national scale is is a big ask for anyone, isn't it? I mean, naturally you're going to have people that oppose it, but more than ever, I think it's so important what you're saying because the, the world has evolved so much in the 21st century. I mean, the FTSE research was done, the FTSE 500 companies, um, they, they talked about when graduates come out of university and they go to um, to the jobs, they have to completely retrain them because they, they don't, they're not like, they don't come out with the real life skills that are needed to do the job. They don't challenge uh, opinions. They don't, they're not innovative. They're not they're, like the presentation skills, the confidence skills. I mean, they're just not there, are they? And, uh, that, and that begs the question, why are we not preparing students better for the real world? I mean, yes, some people academically, they'll do all right and, and they'll go on to doctors and solicitors or whatever. That's fine. But I mean, not, not, but the world has changed. I mean, there's so many different industries out there now. I mean, I wouldn't look at somebody's grades necessarily for, for a recruitment job. Do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. The world has changed. Yeah. And, and I think what, what people know and, and recognize and understand is um, look, education is not going to change overnight in this country. It's going to take a generation to change it, without a doubt. It's going to take 10 to 15 years to change it. But we have to look at it now and see where, where are we going, you know, and, and, and where do we want to be in 15, 20 years. And, and, it, and it starts with small things. It starts with a, developing a culture of education across the country where teachers are trusted. The educational professionals are trusted, right? Not the DFE with its diktats coming out every flaming six months to say, this is what you do, this is what you do, this is what you do, right? And then, then changing their mind every few weeks. It's not, it's just not acceptable. I did a, I, did, I looked at a little post and uh, I put a post out there not long ago about um, Secretaries of State for Education, about how long they've been in their job. And I went all the way back to Estelle Morris, which was over 20 years ago. And she is the last education secretary who has any kind of educational background, right? And there were about 10 or 12, there were about, no, in, in 20 years, there's been something like about 14, 15 education secretaries. So, and their average lifespan is about one year and seven months. Now, if I change the head teacher of a school every one year and seven months, I'm, I'm telling you here and now, a school would be in a de desperate state. Yeah. Desperate state. You know, the leaders are important. They're crucially yeah. important. If I'm having a bad day as a head teacher, it affects everyone, yeah. right? So we've got a DFE that changes its boss every couple of years. Right. And so no wonder there is chaos and change and, and, and everything coming out of it. Mr. Williamson, I'm, I'm afraid to say, will be gone in the next reshuffle. But that reshuffle will happen when it's more convenient for Boris. Right. But he will be gone. You know, and, and so we need to we need to plant the seeds of from the top to say, actually, we need to work with you rather than on you to say this is how we're going to move forward. And, and, and we need to get a we need to have a full um sort of review uh, of, of education and say, look, where are we going? How can we make it work? And, and work with the unions um, and the, the Chartered College and our other representatives to say, look, this is how we, this is where we want to take it in the future. But the, but the high stakes accountability that's based all on testing and exams, 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 you know, as, as they have proliferated this year, has got to go. It's got to change. It's not all about that because... For all, for those kids who do get their GCSEs, you know, so many kids would have got GCSEs but were switched off from it 
when they came through the system. I had friends in school who were not successful, didn't get their O levels, you know, back in the day, but they're now they're now they've got master's degrees, they're doctors and everything else because they because they've been, they, they they've taught themselves as the year has, years have rolled on. I was lucky school fit me, so I was all right. I was I, I could retain knowledge and I could pass tests easy. My brother was he's a joiner, has been his whole life. Walked out at 16, burnt his books with his old level in woodwork and said, I'm never going back, ever. But he's had a successful career. Now, my brother can build a house with his eyes shut. You know, I can't hang a picture. We all have our own skills. Now, I, now I'm, and I'm, I'm old now. I've got more than half a century on this planet. You know, and when I talk about, you know, those, those jobs and those trades, you know, like, you know, plumbers, electricians, sparkies, actually, that's quite an old-fashioned way of looking at it. Where's the, where's the, where's the, Where's the YouTuber? Where's the game designer? Where's yeah. the you know? Where are the IT skills that we're generating and, and interest? Because I can guarantee that most of your kids in your class will go home and know more about how to use an Xbox and uh, and, and all the technology better than I will. And so, how are we encouraging them to develop those skills? You know, the high. I read in the paper last week that the highest earner on YouTube earned something like nine point seven million quid last year, or nine point seven million dollars, whatever it was. It was a nine-year-old little boy. That was the biggest earner on YouTube last year. Now, obviously, he got a very savvy dad, or mom, <laughs> right? But he was just a nine-year-old boy on YouTube, and he made more money than anybody else. So education is dead. The way that we look at it, knowledge-based, what a load of rubbish. I can pick that up, and I can find out anything, anything within 10 seconds, right? So a knowledge-based curriculum, knowledge-rich curriculum that they're always harping on about. Knowledge-rich curriculums are dead. I want a 17-year-old to come in and to do a presentation that impresses the hell out of me. Yeah. I want teachers that are going to stand in front of a class of 30 small children and make them laugh and smile and inspire them and make them, you know, for me, it was always about using my personality and my um my way of doing things to inspire my class. You know, I always said as a head teacher to even the cleaners and the TAs, those, those people who are lower in the pecking order, if you want to come, I say, how do you inspire? How do you inspire the kids? You know, because it's not about one person, it's about everybody inspiring kids. And we're not producing that. Mm. I, I was, you know, I've had three MQTs in my career that, that have inspired me, three. And I've come across a lot. The rest of them are just box-ticking robots who need their hand-holding to bring them through the process. Three of them have, have inspired me to think, you are going to make a difference. You are going to be, you know, everybody comes into teaching to make a difference. You make a difference by do, being the same as everybody else do. That's yeah. not making a difference. That's just, that's just doing what everybody else does. <laughs> that's not being different. That's not, you know, to, to make a difference, you've got to be different. You know, it's just bonkers. But it's very hard when a system says you're held to account that way. Yeah, and we will, you know, and we will thrash you if you don't. And it's just so we need to build trust. We need to build trust in the profession right from the top. They need to let go and start saying, okay, it's not going well, right? And they can do it behind closed doors for all I care. But as long as they start to listen to our representatives and who start to put a view forward that can alter things over the course of a generation, yeah. then, then the world will be a better place. And we better hurry up because the planet's going to 
burn if we don't, you know, or it's going to go underwater. You know, these are bigger issues, but it will come from this generation of kids coming through school to solve these problems, yeah. you know, and they're going to have to have the courage to change things. And, and it's, it's going to be hard if we don't change as a profession. Absolutely. I mean, it all stems from education, doesn't it? And, and you're right, knowledge-based curriculum. I mean, you're, you can literally go on Google and find that information when you need to, but it's the application of knowledge that is so important in the 21st century. And that is something that maybe we're not doing so much. I mean, I was uh, I was speaking to a gentleman in, in the Middle East and he talks about in at the end of the year, they've got, um, so the, the kids, they sit on a computer, they're past a case study or some information, and then they have to go out and find information. It's an open book test, they can get information from wherever they want but it's about applying that knowledge and, and making it relatable and that's how they assess whether the children's children are doing well um i mean it's, it's a complete different way of of doing it i mean nobody needs to memorize information anymore how many times are you going to be in a position where you don't that you're going to have to memorize something i guess i guess there is some benefits to it i'm not saying that we need to completely rule out academic centralized exams but there is there is a there is a need to move away from it and add, add, add things in like your, your softer skills that you so rightly put is our essential skills nowadays, you know, and, and, and the application of knowledge that those things are, are so much more important in the 21st century. And, and you're absolutely right. It needs to move on. I mean, you, you, you mentioned obviously DFE and I think, I think the big problem is it, it, like education here in the UK is, is a bit of political football, isn't it? I mean, you and I have spoken about it in the past. And whereas where you look at places like Dubai and, and the reason why Dubai is, is starting to fly in education is because they have a ministry of education that is full of just educators that are completely are a complete separate entity to the government. The government do not have control of education. I mean, education comes first and they, they are literally run by educators. I think is that is something that we need to move towards here in the UK? Well, I, 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 back in March when all this thing kicked off and I was um, feeling somewhat frustrated, you know, I, I started a little campaign called Change Education 2020. It was more of a uh, me venting a lot of my frustrations, but I put, in a, I put a lot of things that I would sort of do in education out there and the solutions that were associated with it. So... You know, I, I said things that, things like high stakes accountability have got to go. You know, from the from the current situation, Ofsted is no longer fit for purpose in the way that it does things. Accountability is fine. We should be working together. You know, it's public money. People should be checking that we're using it and doing it and doing the appropriate things with it. But in its current form, it's got things like league tables needing to be scrapped. You know, Sats and all this testing that is going on, particularly at primary, it's just, it serves no purpose other than to track and for people to justify themselves. So these have got to go. The biggest thing for me, as I've mentioned to you before, TJ, is the national curriculum. I think it's ridiculous. It's so big and prescriptive. It just kills all creativity because everybody is so fearful and stuck for time that they can't. They haven't got the time to develop, you know, fantastic things because they are under pressure because of the, the, the weight of the, of the national curriculum, and it's wrong. You know, I understand the premise of a national curriculum, but it should be, it should be a minimal document that is then handed over to teachers to say, go and deliver it. We yeah. trust you to deliver it, you know, so that every, we know that every school is delivering it and delivering it well to the individual needs of the children. Yeah, absolutely. Kids, kids in Cumbria and Cornwall don't need exactly the same stuff as kids in inner-city Birmingham or London. They don't. They're going to need different skills to get through in their life. Yeah. Now, they need core 
of, group, of, of key skills, and that's your national curriculum. After that, how it's delivered and what they live day in, day out throughout their education career is completely different. Yeah. And that's what needs to be done. Um, we need... I, I, I get very frustrated at times about the, the you know, as, as a profession, we have something like 95% union membership. You know, everybody's in a union. Why? Because if you get into trouble, then they'll come and help you, right? Because uh, there's a big fear. So we have we have incredible union membership. But the trouble is we have so many different unions that we can't give a cohesive and clarity, clarity and a clear response to government whenever they come out with something. And so constantly, they, they're constantly dropping things on us. And, and we just have to take it. Um, I think the union, I, I've, I've advocated for a long time that the unions need to get their act together and come together as one strong union and give one clear voice back, working with the Charter College to sort of go, no, you're not doing this. So if they start turning around and, and, and cracking the whip, then we stand together as a profession and say, don't you realise there's better ways of doing this? And no, the answer is no, we're not doing it. You know, you are not dropping on people like this. And, and, and dealing with situations like this and telling everybody how to do their job, you know, when we are the experts at it and we need to be stronger as a profession and we've allowed ourselves to become um, battered on by, by those in power. Um, I've always suggested and I've always said in my campaign that education should be apolitical. It really should. It should be like the NHS, given a 10-year funding plan. Um, so it knows where it's going. It knows what it's doing. And it should be taken out of the political spectrum. These are our children. They're not a political tool. They're not a political pawn that they can turn around and say, standards have improved this year. If you look at every education minister, all they do is say is it's standards, improving standards, world-class standards. Standards for what? When, through Boris's own admission, it's a mutant algorithm that moves up and down every year to just make sure that standards improve by 2%. At, G, at, at Progress 8 levels and at Key Stage 1, like you said, it's a, it's a nonsense. I think the, I think you needed 18% to pass the AQA GCSE maths last year. 18%. You know, it, it's it's like, it, it, it's an algorithm that moves and already punishes the poorer kids as well. You know, it's wrong. It, how can you lump everybody together and just decide where the barrier is going to be, the, decide the pass and fail mark for the simple reason that politically you can't have it where it was last year because it would show that standards are gone. Our kids are not political pawns and they shouldn't be and they should be taken away from politicians fine have a have a department for education right have an education minister if needs be i'm not an expert on that sort of thing but take the political interference away from it yeah dfe should be filled with educators people who have been in schools and i'm not talking about dame rachel Kasuda. i'm talking about people who have done the job day in, day out, who have a passion for education and know what is needed, who can come together and work for the benefit of children across the country. If you put that package there with a 10-year funding package behind it, which has gone out the window because we've just spent nine years budgets just like that over the last 12 months, you know, and this ain't going away. You know, this is going to be here for another 12 months, quite frankly. But the way that if we if we can put a 10-year funding package together with it, like the NHS, then, just then, it might have a chance. If people stop interfering, they work out a generational change over that 10 years, so that in 10 years' time, this is where we want to be, then you've got a chance. And we've got to put a lot more of, of well-being and mental health well-being in that as well. Absolutely. You know, and move away from this behaviourist point of view. 
where you know if you do wrong, you're out. You know, it's it's a nonsense. It's an absolute nonsense. We need to be we need to be better trained the teachers in terms of IT. You know, fantastic delivery to inspire children and in the understanding of child and neurological development mm -hmm. because because we don't we've, we've stuck with this system for years and years and years like you get a ch you get a chance you get a, a second warning and then that's it you're out of the classroom and it's just not good enough we need to be better and, and understand our understand our children and understand our kids better that's why in finland they've all done a masters they they all understand pedagogy they understand teaching at a much deeper level than we do in our in our schools. You know, the majority of teachers in secondary schools have done a PGCA one year. That's it. Get in there. It's not it's not good enough. We need people who've got five six years of decent study and understanding behind them, and that's why teachers in other in other countries like Estonia, Canada, Finland are respected because they they're trusted by the society that they're doing a really good job. And so that's what that's what I sort of think. Sorry, going on a bit again. No, it's true. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. In in Finland, obviously, they do spend that much time kind of obviously studying. But here, the, the problem that I kind of see in the UK is we have a shortage problem. We have a shortage of teachers as it is to to then kind of get. Uh, graduates to spend an extra five years studying to get into teaching it may kind of like it might kind of repel sort of graduates to get into teaching but it, but it depends on how well that respected they are and if there's more money being given to them because they've actually been working harder and i think obviously that's one of the big things in finland obviously i spoke to perjo who's obviously in finland and she explained that obviously they get a lot of respect they're, they're well looked after and um they get the resources needed i mean they don't get like loads of resources in terms of technology but they get the right resources and it's about kind of the children and and it's very much centralized to to it, it's very ch children centralized opposed to just being data and i think that's the big problem here in the uk it's all data isn't it it is very much data and there's, it's, it's a complete generalization and it doesn't look at individuality and i think that's a, that's a massive massive problem here in the uk yeah and, and you know we've got to ask ourselves as a profession what do we want where do we want to go where do we want to be you know if if, if parents are happy with the way things are and um you know it's all about getting those grade nines then Nothing's going to change. I don't think anything will ever change, you know. And and but parents need to understand what is being done to their children and what is being done to the teaching profession. Yeah. You know, I, I, I my little eight-year-old lad saw the snow this morning. Said I want to write a poem. But how wonderful and lovely. And he wrote and he wrote he wrote a poem, a four-line poem, and it was very sweet and very everything. And 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 in the same breath, he he grammatically analysed it. You know, in terms in terms of it was a, this is an expanded noun phrase, this is a personification, and this is an adverbial phrase. I thought you're eight. You're eight. What are you talking about? You're eight. What on God's earth? And the way that he structured his poem, you could go into any primary school in the country and it would be structured in exactly the same way. And I just thought, there you go. You may as well just stick a label on his head and go, there's his robot number. Off you go. Yeah. But we are killing the joy of writing poems, you know, look at, you know, follow the people like Michael Rosen and, and people like that on Twitter, you know, the, you, you'll see where their frustration is, you know, in terms of, um, uh, and, you know, Sir Ken was a great advocate of it, wasn't he? And, you know, yeah. and, and, and uh, you know, the great, you know, some of the great speakers like Simon Sinek will turn around and say, find you why, why are you there, why are you here? You know, and, and if you put kids in our education system, there is no why, it's do as you're told, you're out. 
Are you copying? Are you cop a load of trouble? You'll be in deep trouble. And 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 you know you, you know you challenge challenge the situation, challenge the norm, challenge the, the 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 situation that you're in as a as a student, and all hell will come down on you like a ton of bricks. Nothing changes. Yeah. You know, and and you know, I think if you respect kids, and 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 you value them, and you give them your time, and you put the effort in to do that, then those kids are the ones that respond to you, and those kids are the ones that will, you know, be the be the innovators of the future. They will be the gaming, the game designers. They will be the coders to develop right, the, the supercomputers, as well as the plumbers, sparkies. You know, we still need electricians. We still need plumbers. We still need, you know. Um, those people who, you know, we still need brickies. We still need, you know, what are we doing to encourage those those practical skills? You know, throughout schools, I tried to put a motorbike into my, but when my son was in secondary school, I tried to give them a motorbike in the engineering department and said, take it to bits, rebuild it, it's yours, go for it. What a great project, you know? Six months backwards and forwards and no health and safety won't let us bring it into school. And, it's putting the system at the centre of it rather than the children. And that's where we're wrong. We need to start, as Virgil says, we need to put children at the heart of everything that we do. Yeah. And unfortunately, we don't. We have such a fear of the system. It is the system that rules. And so we need to challenge that and, and, and look at, you're never going to make systemic change unless we can admit that there's a problem with the system. And once we admit that we've got a problem, that's the first step to solving it. And then we yeah. can... We can go on from there. You know, I do hope. I know that there's a there is a, a growing a, a growing sense of frustration with the way that we are dealing with things for our children, and we need to educate those kids. You know, I, I know of too many teachers who, you know, why do forty percent go in first five years? Why? Why? Because teaching isn't the job that they thought it was going to be. They thought they were going to be able to innovate, create, have fun, enjoy, and they found that. They've given it a crack for three, four years and found that they're just bought in scheme deliverers. Mm -hmm. And it's not good enough for teachers and it's not good enough for our kids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, I, there's going to be a lot of like head teachers and stuff that are, that are in the system, and that obviously works for them. But obviously, like you said, there's a lot of teachers that are growing in in the in this view, and, and they they want to be different in the way that they can challenge their kids. Um, and I think ultimately, it's got to move in that direction anyway. But it's got it's hard, isn't it? But when, when the system has been in a way for such a long time, and a teacher feels this way, like you said, you're an excellent teacher. I mean, you can kind of like now that you're out of the system, you can kind of voice your frustrations a little bit more but when you're in the system it's it's that much more difficult isn't it and 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 so what what do you do you know like you don't want to risk losing your job and you don't but you want to obviously try to do the best for your kids and yeah obviously it's very very frustrating i mean there's a lot of head teachers that will probably really enjoy working the way that the system works because they like the data input or and it, and it might work for them but does it work for the kids ultimately? And 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 I think you're absolutely right about the leaderboards. I just going back to the leaderboards, and I think it's such an important point because there'll be schools at the bottom of the leaderboard in the same boroughs as schools that I've got are quite high up in the leaderboards. What you're saying is because of location, some children will suffer it in the in the quality of education that you get compared to someone up the road who's just going to a, a, a better school in the area. I mean, every single school in that borough should be 
on the same level in terms of quality of delivery, in terms of education. Because every child in the UK, we're a first world country. Why are children not getting a world-class education in some schools and and, and some schools they are, you know? Um, and it's something that needs to be addressed. And I think that's where Ofsted needs to come in. And that's where they need to change their part, in my opinion. I think they need to be coming in and not grading schools, but they need to be looking at them and saying, look, this is what you need to improve on. This is what the school down the road is doing. We're going to get someone in to come in and, and implement what, what you need to do to make sure that this is moving forward. And a, a child should be able to go to one school, down the road to another school, and have the exact same education as, a, as a, the, the child that is down the road. Well, the solution that I gave when it came to Ofsted was we returned to something more like a HMI. Yes, of course, grading goes out the window because we, we assume that all schools are good, and rightly so. Um, but the HMI has sort of 50 schools under their control, and they regularly visit those 50 schools in a, in a particular area. And, and, and they will work with them and support them. So if they're struggling in maths, they can say, look, these schools in this area are, are, are really good at maths. You might want to work and collaborate with them and support them and, and help them out together. You know, yes, of course, if a school is really struggling, there needs to be some sort of accountability built into it where, where people can step in and help. But rather than uh, rather than you know academy orders coming in and then everybody turn you know everything's taken over and then everything's you know you're part of an academy trust that's got 97 schools all over the country, right? You know you, you, you're working collaboratively and locally with with local leaders and local people who understand the local situations and local concerns so that you can you can support each other and work together. Now, that might mean shifting a lot of staff around, a few schools locally to help them and, and to get them up to speed now those that those that won't do it well you know you need to go you know and those that can, those that can't do it well we need to support them and to become better at what they do because as you said if you're doing something for 10 years it's very difficult to change and, and move on from it but if Ofsted was looked at as a supportive friend a, a challenging supportive friend yeah. then and, I, and that's the way that's the, that's the only way that I ever ever saw them was, you know, as, as a supportive, you know, a, a challenging but supportive colleague. That's what you want. You know, that's how you get better. And, and you know, I, you know, Ofsted is very clever in that it, all it does is check what you think anyway. It doesn't, you know, and it lays out that's, that's our game. That's what we're playing. They're very open about it. I think if you can't play that game, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, so you, you, you play their game and what their game is. And, and at the moment, it's very much, and I'm pleased to hear, it's very much, how are you delivering? You know, it's not as hard on the data, but it's now what are you giving the kids? How are you delivering things to your kids? You know, and they want to know how you got to those um, results at the end of the day. You know, but when it comes to primary, I think that this is all the bloody nonsense anyway. They're, they're little primary school kids. We should be teaching them to learn, learn to read and write and, and basic mathematics and have a, a sense of awe and wonder about the world and love learning and have fun coming to school and have a smile on their face. Well, that, that's your national curriculum for primary. It ain't that complicated, you know, so that when they move on to secondary, then they can start to really narrow down into their subjects and, yeah. or they can start to learn and figure out their things through phenomenon and, and, and whatever they're looking at, you know. I mean, and, you know, that, that that's the sort of thing, you know, what, what secondary schools are... Or, or they might be talking about COVID, but how many are actually following it as a scheme of work and really investigating it and getting rid of the misinformation out there so that the kids are really educated about it mm. and giving the kids freedom to start to explore that sort of thing. I, you know what? I, I doubt it. 
I don't. Yeah. Really, I think yeah. the problem with that is nobody else knows what's going on either. So <laughs> how are we meant to teach the kids? Uh, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think it needs to be so relevant to, to to the world. I mean, that's that's how you gain interest and inspire kids. I mean, I remember hearing something Gavin McCormack said, and he was teaching his kids about volcanoes. But instead of like going through the basics of this is what a volcano is, he he sort of inspired them through the story of him going to a volcano, and he took them on this journey. And by the end of it, they, they really they kind of were asking questions about the volcano and how it works and you know like they're asking the right question inspired to learn and education has changed you're not people that just pass on information anymore you are now people that like kind of have to inspire kids to want to learn because like we said earlier they can just get that information from going on google i mean it's so simple um but it's about how can we inspire them and want to engage get them to have passion for learning and like how can we get them to want to do better for themselves and you know like grow as people and it's gone it's like that eight-year-old, my little eight-year-old lad who can talk the talk when it comes to his 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 breaking down grammatically of a poem and things like that. And I think, yeah, you'll be all right. You'll be fine in the system because you'll pass the test. You'll be okay. What about the majority of kids who find that as boring as hell? You know, I, I, I'm often struck with the old wonder that our teachers can teach this rubbish, right? Just imagine if, what what they could do if they were freed up to teach what they really wanted to teach them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the problem. They're so tied because of this massive prescriptive national curriculum and this overwhelming, you know, focus on you know breaking stories to down and grammar and everything like that when it comes to English instead of the joy of writing a story or the joy of engaging in a story, the joy of reading a story, the reading a story whether it's on a laptop or a book. I don't care. Reading is reading. It's what you understand from it, you know. To test them on it at the age of 11 is a nonsense because I can guarantee you every year six teacher can tell you whether they're at an acceptable standard or not, you know, by the age 11. You know, they, they'll tell you. that SATs don't tell you anything that you don't already know. Yeah. You know? So all this testing is a nonsense, and it needs to go. And then when you compare like for like schools that are like for like, it's just, it's just an anomaly, and it just... You know, it's done for a political reason, and that is to show that government's policies are, you know, improving standards. I've, I've said to you before that after 1985, standards leaving secondary school rose for 28 years on the trot or something daft. You know, I, I must have been thick. My generation must have been unbelievably thick if kids left more clever than we were for 28 years. Really? You, you're having a laugh. It's been, this, it's been this way forever and a day, this algorithm that has just decided that, you know, kids are not individuals, they are a product of a thing, and it depends entirely how intelligent you are in, with your year band depends on how well you are going to achieve. Mm. Because you could be in the brightest year band in the country, right? Yeah. But if you bomb a test, you can come out as one of the, you know, you are only going to be 1.2% better than the previous year even though actually you were a completely different cohort and you were much, much brighter. Yeah. It, it's a nonsense. And it's to nonsense. play our children in that game is wrong. And it's, yeah. and it's abhorrent to do it. They're kids. They're not a political pawn. And that's the thing. I mean, we, exactly what you said. And I think that's so important is that... Yes, I mean, we look at those years and we, we've got the that year cohort and some kids are brighter than other kids. Fair enough, but that doesn't show us how much brighter they are from the year before or the year after. And it's, you know, the year six, the year six kid that struggles with writing and understanding grammar and mathematics and things like that, but can go home and can write his own programs and game 
like that you wouldn't believe and put a, a, a put a YouTube video together that will, that is a, a quality and use the use apps that are just beyond the comprehension of any teacher. Where's the value in that? Well, that kids tell everybody. You know, is, you know, Picasso once said, wasn't it, that, that every child is an artist. The, the, the problem with the education system is to, to keep the artist in them. Everybody has a gift for something. Everybody has a talent for something and something that they enjoy. Yeah. You know, you know, you know. we always scream out, follow your passions, follow your passions. You know, no, 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 no. I think it's about, I think it's about finding something that you're good at and then working at that. And then when you work at it and you become great at it, then you then the passion will flow through you because of it. Mm-hmm. You know, my my seventeen year old son, when I saw him at fourteen taking a motorbike engine to pieces in the garage in the middle of February, and it was freezing and he was completely lost in it. He's taking the clutch plates out and gear, you know, and everything. And it was just like he's found his thing and he's good at it and he yeah. enjoys it. So he's now at college studying to become a mechanic, you know, because he's good at it. And I say you're good at it, so get better at it until you become great at it. Yeah. And then when you're great at it, the passion will flow through you, you know, and, and then you really get into it, you know, you really get into it. So so the kid who can strip a motorbike engine down, the kid who can make YouTube videos like you wouldn't believe on, on with various media and apps, the kids who can, you know, the kids who can go home and weld because their dad's a welder and they've been doing it since they were six, you know, the kids who can... Um, you know, for kids who can strip, you know, cars down like I did with those kids in year six, you know, you know, who, who are a lot more hands-on and practical. You know, what about them? Where are they being supported and helped and developed to become great human beings when they get older? You know, there's nothing wrong with a kid sitting at a computer all day if they're doing something productive and researching and finding stuff out and developing code and, you know, you know, imagine, you know, your son's the new writer of javascript that's probably old school nowadays but that's where my head is but you know if I, where are these kids where are the proclivity is all to primary it's reading writing maths that's that's it you know because it's a political tool and it's wrong because kids are just not seen as individuals they're just seen as a product and 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 you know we, we've got to be better than that and if this pandemic has shown anything it's that teachers are adaptable yeah. if this pandemic has shown anything it's that politicians aren't Right, and that's where the fundamental issue lies. And as a profession and as a nation, we need to say to politicians, this isn't good enough for our kids. Leave it alone. Leave education to the education and leave them to look after our kids. And and, and, and it'll take a long time. This isn't gonna happen in five years. It's gonna take 15, 20 years. But if, if I'm lying on my deathbed in 25 years time and the wheel was now moved, it is now getting you know, moving in the right direction. I'll go to my maker and think, yeah, I made a difference. And yeah. that's important. You know, being a teacher, that's what's made a difference. Absolutely. You know? And that's what and that's what's important. And I think these are the conversations we need to be having, like in more and more, like more and more now, because I think that if 2020 has taught us anything, knowledge-based curriculums aren't the only important thing. And you know what it's so important to I mean, you talk, look at mental health at the moment. I mean, it's 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 gone through the roof in in the last ten years, you know, compared to where it was twenty years ago. I mean, ultimately, we need to be preparing children not only just for academic academically, but we need to be preparing them for life, and that is through mental health and like sort of self awareness and, and gratitude and just things to become better people and show more love and empathy. And these are things that we're slowly, unfortunately, drilling out of them just through knowledge based curriculums. We're so individualistic in this country, and we need to. Be more, 
like populism, populism has become. Look at Brexit. Look at the way that you know. Look at the way that the country's going. It's a, it's, it's a very divided country. Yeah. You know, and, and populism and the thing about populism is it's becoming very popular, right? And and, and it's got to stop. We've got to stop thinking about self, 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 self. We've got to start yeah. thinking about. You know, um, we've got to start thinking about our society and the culture because you know, you know, when the planet floods, it, the, the billionaires won't be saved. Mm. You know, if, if it comes to it, the people will rise. If it comes to it, you know, it, it's happened time and memorial through history that when the people have had enough, I mean, really had enough, then they rise up and say, "We're not going to look at this anymore." Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and times change. You know, and. Uh, the, thing is, the thing is, sorry to interrupt, but there's going to be certain head teachers that, and and, and teachers and and, school, and educators in general, but they're in a school and their absolute number one priority is their kids, which is absolutely fair enough, you know. I mean, like that's what you're in the job for, you know, you're there to make a difference to your kids. But I think it will take people like yourself and I outside of education, in some respects, to make these changes because we're looking at it as a whole. I mean, there'll be a lot of educators that will only be looking at their school and they'll be thinking, well, if I'm doing the best for my school, then that's all that matters. And in, in rightly so in some respects, but at the same time, if we're ever going to move education forward, we need to kind of become, like come together and, and actually yeah. move education forward. And it's and that, not acceptable if one school is outstanding and one is in special measures down the road from you, you know? No, and it's very much, it goes back to that argument of the changes in the system. Teachers yeah. put their kids first, of course they do. They've worked over and above, and I'm so glad I've not been ahead this year. I really have. You know, uh, you know, because they're remarkable human beings to have coordinated and managed this sort of situation, and yet they still keep getting dumped on, right? Mm -hmm. But if, if you turn around to a head teacher and said, SATs are out the window, they've gone primary, you know, internal testing, take it out the window, it's gone. Ofsted is now going to become supportive. League tables are scrapped. You know, um, you know, the national curriculum is going to get dramatically slimmed down and become much more poor child-orientated and much more child-centred. You know, you know, we're going to make the DfE a lot more, you know, um, apolitical. You're going to get funding for 10 years so you can plan what you can do within your school for the next 10 years. You know, you do that and you'll see so many head teachers try and change. They stay the same because it because the system works for them at this moment. Yeah. In, you know, and that's what they do. They play the system to keep themselves safe because they don't want to risk the, the changing to be, perhaps become even better. The thing that I've noticed when it, you know, in my experience when I'm dealing, and I've been dealing with schools that have been in measures and difficulty, that it's, it's in, in some regards, it's easier to change when you're dealing with a school that's in difficulty because you can't keep doing what, they, what you've already been doing, yeah. can you? You've got to change. You've got to do things differently. But you, but you can either dump on them with a hell of a load of new schemes of work and say, follow that, do as you're told, that's it, bang, bang, bang. Autonomy, or you do the harder thing, which is empower them, trust them, get them, let them have a go, make mistakes, do things differently, and so that they can look at the needs of their kids, and so that they grow exponentially. And and that and that is how you get a school from inadequate to good in 15 months, not 18, 15. If you build schemes of working and you just follow the rules and follow everybody else, it'll take you three years. And that's what. That's what we need to empower people more to do. It's more difficult. It's a bigger risk, but the rewards are much, much quicker. And schools are then good, and teachers are freed up, and they're happy. Kids want to come to school because they think, what's going to happen today? Yeah. Uh, I, I had schools with alien landings on the on the roof with an a, aliens hanging over the roof with police all over the... But, you know, actually, we got the old police cars in the car park. All hell was breaking loose, you know? 
people ringing up in school going, what the hell's going on? And we said, we've got an alien man on the roof. Oh, all right, well, thanks for it. But yeah, it's one of yours. Yes, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we were always doing things like that to inspire the kids and make them excited. So kids would come to school, oh, my God, police are there, but there's an alien craft. We, we built an alien craft that was about 15 foot tall, and we had an alien that was hanging over the roof with slime running down the wall. I mean, that, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I mean, every time I ask my nephew and nieces, like, what, what did you do at school? Or, like, what, what was good about your day at school? You know, nothing. It was boring. Do you know what I mean? And it, it's quite a common thing. I mean, why shouldn't school be exciting? And kid, why shouldn't kids look forward to the, what they might learn in the next day? And then that's, I think, obviously... That's because of the way the curriculum is rightly so. Like, like you said, it's because the, the curriculum is so thick in terms of the way that you've got to teach them. But it, it kind of it stops teachers being creative and innovative in the way that they can adapt the curriculum to get the best out of their kids because it's all data, isn't it? You've got to follow the data. I mean, a lot of the teachers' time in some respects is just inputting data into a system and you take them away from actually doing the job that they are they, they came in to do. And that's why the teacher retention problem is such a big problem. Teachers are a, uh, children are a product. That's yeah. it. End up. Period. Children are data. That's it. Because the politicians want it that way. Yeah. And and you know, Austin, you know, to give them their due, are moving more towards. It's not all about data. It's about how are you getting there. What curriculum are you giving to your children to get to that result? And yeah. that is a that is a better story to be talking. That's a more important story to be talking. But when you when you're dealing with a 205-page document, what are people going to do? They're gonna, everybody's going to do the same thing. You know, forgive me, but the Great Fire of London has had its day. Yeah. You know, you know, much as it was a big historical fact, so was Grenfell. So was Grenfell, right? And that could be relatable a lot more to kids nowadays than something that happened 400 years ago. Absolutely. We need to be adaptable and have the confidence to adapt to the needs of our children, but that is, that will only happen when you've got permission from above. Because people need, are so afraid. Does that need to come from the exam boards in some respects? Because like OCR, AQA, they're the ones that design the curriculum in some respects, aren't they? So does that need to be coming from them and saying, look, we need to move away from the way that we've done things and we need to make this more practical? It needs to be. It needs to come from the DFE to say that we're not going to follow this route all the time. You know, we're not gonna, we're not going to follow one particular exam system. It's a billion, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, TJ, and that's why they do it because everybody's happy and everybody's making money up at the top. Why do you think that they're so insistent in this blinkered country in the middle of a world pandemic that we can't get rid of that they're going to go back and do their exams? Who's going back next Monday? Year eleven, year thirteen. You know, who's going back? It's all of our exams. It's, it's, and they haven't the vision to be able to say, here's a viable alternative. You know, we, we, we should be, kids should graduate school. Adult. I hate to use America as a good example, but you graduate school. That's it. You, you know, you, you, you passed high school. You graduated high school, but you didn't. You graduated ninth grade, right? Mm. That's, that's the way that it is. But it's not the be-all and end-all and everything to to where it's going to take you. A kid might, you know, be leaving school with the standards of somebody who's in year nine, but my God, they go home and they can strip a motorbike engine to pieces. And they will do that. They will follow that. They will they will follow what they're good at so they get better. At, or they come home and they can program things that, that you wouldn't believe. Yeah. You know, or they can make, you know, they can make TikToks that are now world famous and they make it. 
I don't, I don't know. It's all, you know, it's all the future to me. And and that, you know, the the you know, we're we're trying to teach children for jobs that don't exist. Absolutely, yeah. You know, but where are the gaps in the market for kids to be employed? You know, yeah. and it's all it's 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 these sectors. Why? Because we don't do anything to encourage them or, or, or teach them about it. Yeah. You know, you know, you know. I'm no, I'm no expert on the secondary, um, secondary curriculums and things like that. But you know, I, I see teachers. You know, when I tried to get that motorbike into my son's school, the engineering teacher just came out shaking her head and just said, "Can't believe it! Can't believe it!" Or, or the, we thought it was brilliant. That's all we wanted to do was get a motorbike, strip it down, rebuild it, put it back together, get it working. We thought, what a fantastic project for all the kids. But those up above our health and safety can't bring it in. We've no way to store it. It's just like how how is a how is a motorbike dangerous? But what you've got the tools to fix. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a systemic problem, yeah. and we need to have we need to have better people. Some people we need to have some better people in it, but we need to get rid of the you know with respect we need to get rid of those people who are you know bean counters who do nothing for kids who just who just thrash you know thrash their staff and and, and morale so that they become. You know, bean counters themselves, and it's not good enough. It isn't good enough, and it's going to yeah. take, you know, uh, it's going to take a movement of people, parents, educate parents about that there is, you know, there is a better way of doing things, and and, and you know, uh, and, and and focusing on the mental health and the well-being of kids as well. Yeah, because you know, there's too many kids that are falling away out of this system now, and and it's not on. It's not on. Yeah, I mean, the well-being of students is quite important. Obviously, we, we touched base on mental health just a little bit earlier, but I mean, you, you look at places like Finland who actually like do surveys for their children of their well-being, and it's it's about creating a happy happy economy, isn't it? I mean, there's it, one thing being successful in your career, but what's the point if you're always going to go through depression? Like, I mean, and and that is a big thing in the UK. You know, like people aren't happy within themselves, and I mean, it's for some for some people, school works perfectly. Like yourself, I mean, it worked perfectly for you, but but for some for a lot of kids it doesn't work for them and they go through through school life thinking that they're not good enough and they're, they're not going to make it in the real world and that is because well, of the way that education works at the moment well that's the way that i always wanted it because i when i went to secondary school was a1 a2 b1 b2 c1 c2 c3 so there were seven sets yeah right um yeah. and and so i always thought well school works for i i was i, I was lucky because i was relatively academically bright in terms of schooling I was in A1, A2. So it worked for me, right? Now, my brother was in B2, and there was C1, C2, C3. All those kids underneath, it didn't work for them. It worked for those two, because mm. that's what it was about, a knowledge-based curriculum. Remember it, study it, revise it, pass the test. It worked for them. For those groups underneath, absolutely not. Yeah, Absolutely not. Now, I've met a mate who was in B2, C1, who is now a master? He has a master's degree in chemical chemistry or something daft like that. But school failed him at the time, you know. And we put a massive pressure on kids that at sixteen you've got to do this, at eighteen you've got to do this. Then you go into university. It's a load of rubbish. It has to stop. We mm-hmm. have to stop pressurising children to get a first from Oxford. It's nonsense. Yeah, yeah. It's absolute rubbish. And parents have to change their attitude towards it. Because yeah. it's not it's not right. It's not good. Kids will find their way when they are ready. I didn't go to teacher training college until I was 22. And those four or five years that I spent after college, out in the real world, working in the factories, working in the pubs, working, 
uh, you know, here and there, putting the 100-hour weeks in, have made me such a better teacher, such a better teacher, because I get that perception beyond the school gate, and I understand where my community are, mm. right? I work in inner cities, hardcore schools, but they're just good, honest, working-class folk who want you to do their best, you know, who want you to know, want to know that their kids are safe and that they're happy. They don't give a yeah. stop about onomatopoeia or, you know, expanded noun phrases. And if I told them, if I told the parents, if the parents knew that that is what they would learn, they would look at me and go, what the hell are you doing? That's nonsense. Mm. We're forced into it by the government. And they go, what the hell are they doing to our kids? Yeah. It's a nonsense. They're seven years old. They're kids. They should be having fun. They should be enjoying coming to school. They should be getting their hands dirty. They should be climbing trees. They should be making mud pies. They should be being kids. Yeah. And that's what needs to change. We need to get that word out to all parents' groups to say, have you have you read this? This is what your kids are forced to learn in year when in reception in year one. You know, give them a synopsis on the one sheet and they'll, they'd look at it and go that's the national curriculum you know and then, and then you get uproar because parents go you ain't teaching my son that rubbish that's a waste of bloody time he's fine yeah you know and, and once parents become more aware of this stuff that teachers are trapped in then then you get then you get movement then you get you know people coming to the door you know and saying this isn't good enough you know, and and these decisions have been made and, and put together by people who are not educationalists. So we need to take control back from the DFE and, and, and be taken out of the political spectrum so that we can educate our children in what is right for them. Absolutely. So that each child individually can flourish. You know? But, you know, if, if you're a great, you know, physicist, for, for, for want of a better word, why aren't you using Zoom to be working with or, or patching into the greatest professors of physics who are delivering lectures online and then they can just join in with them? You know, when you're 13 years old, you're telling me you can't sit there with your laptop and headphones on in school and just watch a lecture. Meanwhile, your mate next to you is watching uh, Jeremy Clarkson take a car apart. Yeah? I don't know. You know, but a, a program that is tailored to the individual needs and interests of a child. Yes, really? basic national curriculum, reading, writing, maths, basic sciences. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to understand how the world works and comes together and all that sort of thing. But then a curriculum that that, in, that, that is, is led by the child, not yeah. by a politician and school to say, you've got to get these results because of progress eight. It's wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. yeah. It worked for me. It worked for me, but it didn't work for me, brother. It certainly hasn't worked for my kids. Yeah. Certainly, worked for and, my yeah, kids. and I, there's a lot of kids that it won't work for. And I think you're absolutely banging the money. That's where, where the issue lies is, is the curriculum in, in a lot of respects. Um, and you're right; it needs to come from above. I mean, there's a lot that needs to change. And you, you look at like the big the big FTSE 500 companies. I mean, innovation is their absolute number one thing. I mean, they, they have they have areas where they've got pool tables, got cafeterias, all in the same office, you know? And that's because they, they understand that people need to have a break. They need to like, like have 
have time to reflect and be innovative. And you're not going to do that by just sitting at a desk and literally just going at it for hours, you know? I mean, and that is what our education system is. It's you're in for 8.30, you're, you're, you're leaving at 3.30, 4 o'clock, some schools 5 o'clock. And you're, you're literally, that's all you're doing is just lesson after lesson after lesson. You have a one hour lunch, maybe 15 minutes, 45 minutes, and you have like a 15 minute break in between somewhere. I mean, you are taught just to do a nine to five job for the rest of your life, but that world doesn't exist anymore. I mean, if you want to give these children a bright future, I mean, they've got to have time to reflect, be innovative, find their passion, and then have time to actually explore that passion. Yeah, I mean, I would say, particularly in secondary, you know, look at the neuroscience, look at the way that teenagers are and the, the, the way that they develop. You know, they're useless in the morning. We all know it. Every parent of a teenager in the world will tell you that they're useless in the morning. I would advocate that a secondary school doesn't start till 11. You know, you know they don't. They don't even have to turn up to secondary school until eleven if they need to turn up on that day at all, because they could get up at half past eight, nine o'clock, and be doing some online stuff and picking up on lessons from previous days and stuff like that. You know, they may have to go in on a much more flexible basis. And this pandemic has shown that the kids can't do it. Yeah. You know, go in for a couple of hard two or three proper full-on lectures, and then right, I don't need to see you lot for the next two three days because everything's online for you. So go away, research, and start cracking on it. I'm watching you from online to make sure that you're keeping on top of it all. Why not? Why not? Why can't this be facilitated nowadays? What, yeah. you know, and I, and I look forward to the school that comes out of this pandemic and just says, actually, working at home and online has worked really, really well for us. You know, the parents have adapted to it. They're happy with it now, and the kids are a lot, lot happier. What about the kid who hates going to school, but actually they're flourishing at home? You know, yeah. what about, you know, what about the kids who are collaborating online because they've got to get a project done online? Welcome to the real world. Yeah, they're using they're using Teams and Sway and all these applications through Office that they are going to have to use when they grow up, right? Who needs a bloody one and a half hour commute into the centre of a ruddy city and an hour and a half home at the end of the day? Yes, occasionally we're human beings. You've got to come together. We've got to work in in, in close proximity to each other, and we've all missed that this year. But the, the majority of the time, the world has adapted and there will be more and more people now who are going to work from home than ever go back to an office. They'll pop in once or twice a week, but they will fit, they will go, stop the commute, stop the commute. I ain't doing it. I, yeah. can get six, I can get six hours of good quality work time back. Thanks very much. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I've got to work from home. I've got the little office. I'm happy. Thanks very much. You'll, have, you know, you'll see a building explosion down at the bottom of people's gardens where the people will be setting up home offices. That's the real world. People work on documents together online, don't they? Yeah. What are we doing to help our kids learn that? Why can't we develop it? You know, in a first world country, develop that kind of curriculum and, and, and enjoyment for our kids. That's all I want to say. That's all I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. And but we've got to, you and I. You know, maybe we're the little. Maybe we're at, coming up the hill. And when we get to the top of the hill, we can make that snowball. And maybe we can just push that snowball over the edge. Because yeah. once that snowball starts to roll down the hill, it's just going to become an unstoppable force. And, and I mean, it is the bigger picture. It is the absolute bigger picture. I mean, the way that we're doing things, I mean, every school is looking at it on a micro level, and I completely understand. But as a complete macro level, if we're going to actually look at and trying to change the, the way that this education system runs in our economy, if we are going to compete globally around the world in terms of innovation, in terms of like being creating companies that are going to be in the FTSE 500 or they're going to be leading, leading companies in the world for whatever industry, if we're going to produce those kinds of companies, we need to get it right from education because that is that is ultimately the stem of every other other industry isn't it that's where it stems from go back 120 years before there was any formal schooling or anything like that this was the country that was the the, the innovative center of the world 
we 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 founded the industrial revolution, the engineering, the mathematics, everything that came that that developed developed the world. Yes, we went we went around the world raping, plundering, and dicking everything from everybody. And empire is an interesting topic, isn't it? Interesting how empire is not in the national curriculum. How fascinating! How fascinating! But you know, go back to that time. You know, when we were innovators. You know, we were we were inventors, we were innovators, we were creators. Look at what we could do in the world at that time. We can't, we don't allow it now. We just don't allow it. And and, and I think all that you are arguing, you and I are arguing for, is yes, it's a modern world. Yes, there's accountability. Yes, there's offspin. Yes, there's you know political will and sway and all that sort of thing. But we're saying, look, instead of the pendulum has gone from you know that side where there was absolutely nothing coming into. The, that way and we're saying no you just need to bring it back and you yeah. just need to listen to educators listen to listen to in, listen to industry listen to you know uh, you know companies who were saying these are the people that we want you know and and this is what we need from them you know can you imagine a kid who's great with it you know at the age of 11 years old going to the google school and and yeah they've got to cover that basic national curriculum of maths english and a bit of science and all that sort of thing but the rest of the time, they're working on things for Google and they're developing their skills that way. They're going to have an employee who walks out of school absolutely ready to join the world of work. Yeah, absolutely. Why isn't it happening? You know, this this is what the free schools program is all about. What, where are these people? You know, that it can be done, and I've seen great examples of it. You know, and they do it in spite of the system, not because of it, and that's what's wrong. We need we need more people. We need the system there so it happens everywhere rather than because of mavericks and because of people who are really, really different, you know, yeah. and, and you'll, you'll meet the mavericks, you'll meet the people who are really, really different and you'll meet the bean counters as well. And, you know, you'll, you'll find that they're very blinkered in their thinking because they can't, they, they can't do it. I have, I have people on LinkedIn who troll me, you know, who make life very interesting for me at times. And, you know, I refuse to block them because I think to myself, I am everything that you want to be, but you just cannot do it. So I love to torture them because they want to, you know, they, you know, I am everything that they want to be, but they just can't do it. So it's like, <laughs> suffer, you know, it's, it, it's, it's quite funny at times, but um, yeah, we need to, we need to do it. I mean, uh, for the sake of our children. Absolutely. I mean, just to kind of, just before we leave it, I mean, I, just to kind of reiterate, I think there's certain head teachers that probably won't agree with you, but it's not, I don't think it's necessarily because they don't want the best for their children. I mean, I just think that they're just set in their way of that's the way it works. That's the way they went for education. But let's, let's look at the hard facts. I mean, what are these children gaining? Like, are we preparing them for the real, the real world after school? And for 85% plus, the answer is no, isn't it? I mean, there's some that the system works for, but there's a lot of children it doesn't work for. And I, I, I need to change. I think something that gets missed out of this loop quite a lot um, is the voice of the child. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we should have a much, much more accountable voice to the children, um, particularly as they're older, right? Yeah. You know, particularly in a secondary environment. And, the, you know, if you listen to the kids, if you're other, you know, I always find if I ever go to visit a school, I go and sit with the kids. I don't sit with the staff, I sit, I sit with the kids, you know, because they'll tell you, kids will tell you, you know, and, and you know, but, you know, my kids have always said to me, oh, that's so boring, Dad. you know, and, and when pandemics hit and things like that, not one of them say I miss learning. None of them say I miss what I learn. They miss their friends. They miss the socialization, but they don't, no, no child in this pandemic has said I miss the learning. Isn't that? sad 
Yeah. So we need to listen to the children more because they're bored, you know? And, and you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're, you know, they're kids. They don't know any better. They're just following the rules and coming through the, the system and trying to keep out of trouble. Yeah. You know, isn't that, you know, isn't that wrong? We all love the rebel. I, my favourite kids in education are always the ones with a bit of spunk and a bit of fight about them. Those are the ones that always gave me the greatest pleasure because I had to work bloody hard with them. But when you yeah. get them through it, they're the ones who come back five years later and give you a big hug and say, thanks, sir. Thank you for everything you did for me. And yeah. I go, that's why I do it. Yeah. And you are now on the path, you know, and, and those are the ones that make you think, that's why I became a teacher. Sod your GCSE, I don't care about that. You're now on the right path and you're going the right way. And that's why I became a teacher. Yeah. You know, it doesn't happen that often. And most of the time, if I see a kid coming up, I think, oh, God, they're they going to hit me. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's why you do it when you can change that child's life, the one that's climbing up the walls and spitting and running and, and, and really, really struggling. And then a few years later, you can send them out the door and they're happy and they, they like coming to school and they like learning and they're doing really, really well. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's the job of the teacher. As a secondary teacher, it's about engaging children's things that they're really good at and giving them the opportunity to develop it and find, find a love of it and find a real enjoyment of it so that they can take it onto that next stage so that they're ready as they get through college. Then we've got kids who are, absolutely up to speed with you know the modern world and how it how it sort of moves forward and you know we, we, and that's what we need to do it's, it's really what we need to do yeah absolutely i mean like you look at the big companies and they uh i mean when, when they kind of target in the customer base they they do research don't they i mean you look at tesco for example with loyalty cards they they use club you scan your club card and then they'll send you vouchers based on what you buy you know and it's and it's very tailored to individuals so why are we not doing that in education you know i mean i know tesco is a very big it's, it's an extreme example but we need to be listening to the kids and we need to be listening to the teachers to make sure we are making the right changes and, and having the right impact that we, we want to achieve you know and uh, right now it, it there's a big disruption in, in communication between obviously the, the the politicians and and obviously the educators and educate i mean the politicians just need to listen i mean and that's the thing and that's that's where, where it's all going wrong i think i think we're, we're in we're in bizarre times yeah um, and i think it's just a case of hanging in there until we get through this yeah. um, because you're not going to get any radical change in this because they're just going to you know, the, the, the sad thing is they, they they say that, you know, why can't they just say that we need schools open so people can go to work? Why can't you just say that? You know, just be honest. It's about childcare. It's not about kids. It's about childcare, is this. Mm -hmm. that's, that, and that's what, you know, I find very frustrating because I think in, 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 ex, in extraordinary times like they are, I think that the more honesty that you give, the better people will respect you for it. You know, yeah. the more you try and like it, the more angry people get, you know, and that's why we we we're an island. You know, this is what I find amazing. You know, we've got 70,000 dead. We're an island. You would have thought that on an island we would have been able to protect ourselves better from this pandemic than everybody else across Europe and, you know, in countries that have got, you know, connected and borders and all that sort of thing. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, the EU can shut borders when it wants to and stop people moving about, you know. But we're on an island and we've got more dead than anybody else. So I think there, there are questions you sort of think, you know, things need to be better. We need to do things better. And, 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 and at this time... I think we've just got to survive it and get through it, regardless of who's in charge at the DFB. But yeah. once we're through it, but once we're through this, the unions, the the, the the charter college need to get their act together, come together, and and just say no more until we start to have a reasonable professional discussion about what we're doing to our children here, because it's not yeah. the exam, the, the the exam factory has to end. 
It's just yeah. not good enough. And it's not... What employer is going to trust these results this year? You know, they don't look at them anyway. They're not yeah. bothered anyway. You know... I never had somebody in GCSEs ever. I mean, when somebody's come to apply for a job, or I've, I've looked at people's, I've had interviews with people before. I've never ever looked at their GCSEs. I've looked at the gem in the rough in, in some respects to see if I can find some potential, and that's not looking at the GCSEs. Yeah, I, I, I'm exactly the same when I've been looking to employ a teacher. I don't care about the qualifications. They, they wouldn't be applying for the job if they weren't a qualified teacher. So I couldn't give a stuff about that. I'm looking. I'm looking to read that last paragraph on that personal statement. Who are you as a human being? What do you do? And I never got involved with the formal HR process of of, of, uh, of interviewing because I thought it's a HR process. It, sold, it tells me nothing. It tells me nothing about an employee, a prospective employee. I'd let me deputy do it or something because it, it was just purely a HR process. What they did do was come and have a chat with me for half an hour. Because <laughs> yeah. we talked football, rugby, motorbikes, whatever whatever they were interested in, because I wanted to know who they were as a human being. Yeah, for sure. That's what, that's what mattered. That's what's more important. You're a qualified teacher. I expect you're applying for this post because you're a qualified teacher. Yeah, fine. I couldn't give a stop if you got a first from Cambridge. It means nothing to me. Who are you? Mm -hmm. If all you've done for the last five years in training is study to be a student, you know, give me, give me the, you know, if a person gets a first, but all they've done is study for five years, but give me a person who's got a, a 2-2, two -two, who's been captain of this, who's done this cover, who's got four blues, who's got, you know, been in the union, done this, done that, who am I going to employ? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, the qualifications are, it's, it's who's, who's the persona, who's the person who can solve problems, who's the go-getter, who's the one who wants to be different, who's the one who, you know, really hates schemes of work and delivering them blindly, who's the, who's the one that's going to be different, you know, yeah. who's the one that wants to change education. Those are the ones that I want to employ because they're the ones who are going to inspire kids. Absolutely. Amazing. Phil, look, we'll leave it there. I mean, we've gone through so much and obviously it's a, it's a pleasure like, to have you again. I mean, obviously to come back on season two. I mean, I enjoyed speaking to you the first time and, uh, and you didn't disappoint again. So, yeah, I'm really pleased to obviously you came on and we were on this journey together in some respects. I know yeah. obviously we had different paths, but I mean, I really enjoyed kind of getting to know you since our last podcast and, and obviously the journey you're on. So, yeah, obviously, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing where we can we can take it and finish yeah. we can make the difference that we, we, we hope to Achieve. Yeah, you're doing something good here, mate. Keep going with it. You, you know, get those right people on. Create, create the ripple. Create that ripple effect and start getting people to challenge and start getting people to make look at things differently. Team up with people. Spread the word because you're doing you're doing a good thing here, and it's gonna it will make a difference. And and that's what's important. Thank you. I mean, it's uh, it's been a pleasure, and, uh, and like this season two is it's got it's it's literally about why education, where education is, and why it needs to evolve. I mean, like these stories about people uh, that have left education, have gone to different countries because of the way that the system's run here in the UK, and and the differences over there. And I mean, it's it's quite remarkable to see how how where we are and why we do need to change. And it's only because of the conversations I've had with these certain people and like people like yourself that I've actually understood. I mean, six weeks ago, seven weeks. Ago, I would not have known like what I know now, you know, and this is where we need to change it in the public's eye. Uh, this is what we need to change. Well, I, I, I can only chip in and say one thing about, um, uh, about this. I've, I've had about 20 friends who have gone abroad um, and not one has come back. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, you know, they refuse to come back. They, they will just not come back to England. They'll, they'll jump around the world, but they will not come back here. Yeah. You know? And what does it say? You know, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting um, it's an interesting world, and we need to make ours better. 
Absolutely. For the sake of our kids. Our, our kids and our teachers' well-being. I mean, I think uh, I, I think education as a whole is is great at what it used to do, and, and I think there's elements of it still being great and world-class, but there is obviously not a lot that we need to change. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is what this podcast is about. Hopefully we can ask the right questions and get the right feedback and start like sort of creating these ripples, like you said. So, yeah, again, Phil, thanks for coming on. And, guys, thank you for watching. Not at all. Pleasure, man. Take care. Thanks everyone for watching. Phil, thank you for coming on again on season two. Uh, guys, if you did like, please give us a like and a subscribe and see you in the next episode. Thanks.